You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. My name is Joe, and I'm our student ministries director here. I get to lead um, our student team with Sarah, and we just, like she said, we had um, we have a ton of fun going on this summer, and so uh, if you're a parent of a student, we'd love to get to know them and hang out, and um, I promise we're not that weird, um, but we're kind of weird sometimes, but we have a lot of fun, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit uh, about what I do here. We're going to actually start today off um, just taking our offering, and if you're new here to Kensington, um, this is a time where people who are call Kensington home um, spend some time and give some resources back to Kensington, um, and so there's a few ways you can do that online um, by text message or right here in person. But um, as you are doing that, one of the things you are doing as part of our next generation is actually investing um, in our next generation. Uh, one of the things we are focusing here um, this year on Troy is how do we really empower and enable the next generation. And so um, as they kind of said, we had some students who went on a mission trip um, to the Dominican Republic. And there's a few um, photos over there, students who took a week out of their summer when they're not in school um, to go travel to another country um, and spend some time there, so they um, were digging ditches, they were working with an orphanage, they did a ton of really cool things there, um, but we took about, yeah, 40, 50 students uh, across Kensington there and just um, had an opportunity to do that, and so when you um, are giving back to Kensington, you are creating opportunities for students to come on a weekly basis to hear um, a message about faith, but also um, take their next steps in their faith. We have students who are leaving um, on our to go to our mixed camp, which is our middle school camp coming up, and so there's just next steps happening for our students all over, and so it's because of your generosity that we're able to provide those programs for not only um, our K-Kids on the weekend, but our students in general during the week. So thank you for partnering uh, with us there. Um, today, uh, so as Sarah kind of said, uh, she called me a meat fluencer, which is a gentle way of saying, uh, one of the things I do on the side is I create content on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook for different grill companies. And so that's kind of my weird side hustle. So if you ever want to talk about grilling or stuff, I can tell you more about that. But uh, the unofficial term is a meat fluencer. And so um, I didn't pick the name. It just was handed to me. Uh, but one of the things, so I spend a quite a bit of time on social media. I'm watching different reels and TikToks and seeing all different things. And so if you're like me and you have social media, and if you don't have social media, stay strong, my friends. Like, keep fighting the good fight. It's better that way. <clears throat> but if you do have social media, um, have you ever followed an account that kind of just drives you nuts? Not because maybe what they're saying is like aggravating to you, but you follow this account and part of it is like, it just makes you mad because maybe it's like such a cool thing and you can never do it. For me, I'm just talking to myself here. For me, one of these accounts is one of my jobs besides Meatfluencer is also dad. I have two kids, Jackson and Blake, and they're awesome. And I'm also like the lunch guy. So I always make the lunches for our kids. It's just part of my routine. And so one of the accounts I came across online is this account called Lunchbox Dad. And I came across and I was like, hey, this is gonna be cool. Maybe it's gonna show me some like healthy options. Like, oh, I can you know make different lunches just for my kids. No, it is not that. In fact, you'll see it here on the screen. It's this guy who is essentially like Picasso of lunch. And so he takes different things that I normally would incorporate in my kids' lunches and then makes me hate the fact that I'll never be able to do this. And so as you're watching this, you're like, okay, he's got a knife, he's taken some tortillas. And I'm like, for me, my version of a creative lunch is dino chicken nuggets. Like, that's cool. That's a little bit different. And this guy's sitting over here like, what on earth? And so every time I open my phone, I see something like this, and I'm just like beating myself up because I'm going, what? Like, how is that a thing? That's like, 
that's not okay. Like, my lunches do not look like that. So I beat myself up over that. And so sometimes, and if you're like me, maybe it's like relief at times just to hit, and like maybe for your own mental health, like you have to unfollow an account. Has anyone ever gotten like this little relief from when you unfollow somebody? Maybe it's not a Picasso of lunchboxes. Maybe it's like your crazy aunt who's like, whenever you fire up Facebook, you open up and you see her name and you're like, I'm about to read a paragraph of anger or something. And you're like, if, if you don't do that, maybe it's you. So I don't know, but <laughs> maybe. But there is this idea of like, sometimes you follow people on social media that like, that you just have to say no to. Maybe it's not your crazy aunt, but maybe it's that person you went to high school with that's always trying to recruit you to their team and offer you a lifestyle, not a job. And you're like, no, I know this is a pyramid scheme, I know. And so you're like, no, I'm, I can't do this. And so you, uh, that hit somebody real deep over there. <laughs> you're like, yes. And so you know what I'm saying. So there's times where you have to like physically say, I do not want to see this anymore. In a way, when you unfollow somebody, you're like, I'm taking control of what I choose to see on my phone or what I choose to look at there. And I know um, there's other reasons to, you know, unfollow accounts. But for me, it's mainly like, I want to control what I see. Because and this is the idea and the theme that we're going to kind of hit on today, is that something we all like is control, right? All of us like to be able to control things. If, I, if you were to walk in today and sat in your seats, and as soon as you sat down, I said, guess what? We're going to go back outside, and instead of having a party on the lawn, we're going to do lawn care. And so we're going to mow the lawn, we're going to weed wet. There's like six dads who got pumped, and the rest of you are like, no, don't want to do that. Because you're used to what you want, and you want to know that when you walk in here, you're going to sit down, and you kind of have an expectation of what's going to happen. You can kind of control that environment. But I think all of us sitting deep down, we want control. We love to be able to control not only what we see, but what we do and where we go, right? No one likes to be able to see things and say, I want, everyone wants to be able to see things and say, I don't want any more of that, or I want to do something, or I don't want to do something. Some of us like making plans just so that we can control the fact that we can cancel those plans, right? Like, that's a good relief sometimes. Some of you are like, yep, I love that. And so there are things that we want to control, and especially where we go, like when we choose where we go out to eat, what we do, all of those things. That's kind of how we were wired as humans. And I know this because, like I said, I have two kids I'm raising right now with my wife, and one of them is three, and that's Blake, and she's really cute. You'll see her. Don't let that cuteness fool you. She is a three-nager to the T. And I also have Jackson, who's six. And in their lives, like, they are all about control already. Blake loves to be able to control what goes on in said lunches. Like, Dad, I want French fries. I want ranch. I want ketchup. I want chicken nuggets. Not those ones. The other ones. She has preferences already, and it's great. Jackson, on the other hand, loves to be able to control what's on YouTube, what songs we listen to, those types of things. Like, they each have their own thing that they would like to control, and it's cute sometimes until we get into, like, arts and crafts when there's glue and there's yogurt everywhere. And I'm like, no, you are not going to control all of these things. But I can see from an early on, there is a little bit of control that is developing there. And it doesn't go away as we get older. As we all sit here um, as adults and as people who are, you know, you know, teenagers or getting into adulthood, we still like to control. Those things don't change much from when we were a child. We like to control our relationships, the people that we spend time with the people that we talk to, the people that are closest to us in our lives. We like to keep tabs on those things. We like to control our finances, the things that we spend our money on, the things, you know, we want to make sure like the golf fund is fully funded at all times. And like there are other things that we like to control or have our hands on, the things we see, the accounts we follow, the subscriptions we keep, the Netflix, uh, Hulu, whatever it is that we're finding, we love to be able to control what we are doing with all of those things. 
And sometimes in my life, I know there are things that I like to control, but what I realize is that most often in my life, when I look at the things that I'm trying to control, one of the things that happens for me is I begin to lose sight of who Jesus is. And maybe it's not a conscious decision that like I hit an unfollow button on who Jesus is, but there are definitely times, if I'm being honest with you, times in my life where I have moved my eyes from where he is to what I'm trying to do. And I would bet, and there's probably some of us in here who have that same issue. If we're looking at this whole thing, if we call this whole thing of faith a spiritual journey of discovering who Jesus is, maybe there's pieces of our lives that we don't fully include him on or we just leave him out. Maybe it's at work when you can look at your workplace and you say, work is different than my family, it's different than my church, I can kind of silo these things. When I'm here at work, I'm just doing my job, I don't need to get faith involved in this whole thing. Maybe it's not just necessarily work, maybe it's other pieces of our lives, maybe it's relationships, maybe you're single and you're like, it's hard enough to get a date out there, I don't need this label of Christian on my tag or a follower of Jesus to kind of narrow my searches down even more. Maybe it's with our money. Like we say, hey, we don't need to, I don't need to give back to places. Like I only have a certain amount of money and I'm gonna pick where that goes and I just wanna control those types of things. Maybe it's even with our time. When we look at the limited amount of time we have and you come here to a place like Kensington or other organizations and we ask for volunteers or we ask for you to give your time, you're like, no, I only have a limited amount of that. So I'm gonna hold that thing close to me. And I think when we look at this idea of discovering who Jesus is on as a spiritual journey, there's definitely places that you and probably uh, me in my own life hold on a little bit tighter to and areas that we don't really wanna give up control for. And so today we're gonna be talking about this idea because I know control is an interesting topic for me. It's something that I am working through on my own. And it's oftentimes it's not that my focus on Jesus is completely gone or that I've unfollowed him, but a lot of times it's life gets hard and having a whole spiritual component to my life is just another thing that I'm gonna drop the ball on or that I can't control. And so how do I balance these things? How do I incorporate Jesus and this thing called faith into every part of my life? And that means if I do that, then I'm gonna have to let go of some sort of control. And I know that is a difficult thing, and I know that's something that I struggle with because when you let go of that control, often what you're letting go of is some sort of safety because control can feel comforting. When you can control certain things, you feel safe, you feel like you've got it, and you feel like you can handle it. And so today, we're gonna look at a story. We've been talking about these heroic moments in scripture, and we've talked about some famous people um, throughout the scriptures, and today, we're gonna be continuing that, talking about a guy named Peter. And Peter, if you don't know anything about him, he's a guy who shows up in the New Testament, and I always consider him, like, because I'm a football guy, like, he's a first-round draft pick of Jesus, which is pretty cool, in my opinion. And so Jesus sees this guy, Peter, and he first calls him and his brother to become followers of him. They're out fishing on a boat, and he says, hey, drop those nets, and they're like, hey, we're fishing. Like, you try dropping your nets when you're out having a good time fishing. And Jesus says, no, drop those nets and come follow me. And so Peter and his brother Andrew followed Jesus. They became one of his, uh, part of his 12 disciples. Peter uh, writes a couple of books in the Bible, creatively titled First Peter and Second Peter. And then Peter also is, has like the most like legit nickname too. Like before there was Dwayne John, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, there was Peter the Rock. Jesus calls him the rock on which he builds his church. So Peter, like entering the scene, has like a really cool, like, you know, 
social media presence, if you're asking me. Like, he's got a cool little platform right there that he's working off of. But all throughout his life, we see different stories about Peter. And today, we're going to look at a few stories that are captured by a couple of people who followed Jesus, other disciples who wrote their accounts of what was happening. And one of the most famous stories about Peter is one that you may have heard before. And what's happening before this story is Jesus, who was pretty popular at the time, is talking to a large group of people. He feeds thousands of people. He then sends his disciples off in a boat, and then a storm comes. Jesus walks on the water, and he calms the storm. But as he's doing so, this is where we see a story of Peter. And some of you have heard this before, but it'll be on the side screens. It's found in Matthew 14. It says, Lord, if it's you, Jesus walking on the water, he says, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And he catches him. And you see, this is a famous story of Peter, and you see Jesus, and you kind of capture this historic moment. And this heroic moment of Peter actually physically walking on the water, like that's a crazy miracle that we see right there. And Peter is taking steps towards Jesus. He's walking towards him. But as soon as his eyes shift and as soon as his eyes get off of Jesus, he begins to sink and he calls out for help. And I love that it says immediately Jesus reached out and saves him. This is a monumental moment in the life of Peter. And one of the things that I enjoy about the scriptures when I read the Bible is I love how things point to each other and how you can read different passages and different accounts and see how they can kind of reflect to each other. And this event, specifically Peter walking on the, book of, or walking on the water, is not actually recorded in the book of John. And in just a few minutes, we're going to see something that does happen in John because he does record something that's really interesting. But what John chooses to record is he records Jesus feeding the 5,000. He records a storm. He records Jesus walking on the water. But he leaves Peter out of this story. All of the other gospels include Peter walking on the water. They follow the same timeline, the same chain of events. But for some reason, John leaves Peter out of this. And I, like, whenever I see stuff like that, like, I just kind of laugh. I'm like, what's going on there? And then as, like, you kind of you read and understand scripture a little bit, you kind of can laugh at this because Peter, like I just mentioned earlier, was one of the first disciples that Jesus picks. But John often calls himself what, the one that Jesus loves most. And so I'm like, eh, that's kind of funny, a little petty if you ask me, but whatever. And then I love this part. Um, if you haven't read the whole New Testament, this is a spoiler alert, but Jesus dies and then comes back to life. And as he comes back to life, his disciples are running to go see him. And guess who's in a race with each other? Peter and John. And then after all of those things, I look at this story and I'm like, John just leaves Peter walking on water right out of this thing. Like, what's going on? And so to me, I'm like, it's even like, even thousands of years ago, like we're controlling like our social media presence. We don't wanna give someone else credit. Like we wanna focus it all on ourselves. So I laugh at this story because this is a huge moment and he doesn't include it. But what John does record right after this storm is Jesus teaching to a group of followers. And we'll see Peter again here in just a moment. Because over the course of Jesus' ministry, he acquired a lot of people who were interested in the things that Jesus was saying. Crowds followed him. Sometimes they would wait days and go without food just to hear a teaching of Jesus. And so John records this incredible encounter that Jesus has as he's teaching to a group of people who are following him inside of a synagogue. And he teaches them something that is kind of weird, and I'm going to acknowledge that it's weird. We're going to acknowledge this together that it's what we're about to read is, in fact, strange. If you're new to church, 
This is weird, and I'm willing to admit that, all right? And so Jesus says this in John chapter six. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Weird, right? Like, this is not a normal thing to say. And in fact, to make it even weirder, is Jesus doesn't just say this once. He actually triples down on this idea, and he says it three times. He goes, if you want to have eternal life, you need to drink my flesh, or drink my blood and eat my flesh. Like, it's weird for me to say. And Jesus says it three times. And understandably, when Jesus says this, people are freaking out because it was weird and it wasn't normal. And he didn't just say it once, he said it three times. And all of this stuff is going on. And if you're understanding the context of who Jesus is talking to, he's talking to a group of Jewish people inside of a synagogue. And eating flesh and drinking blood was definitely 100% considered wrong at that time. And then on top of that, Jesus is also saying, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to have this thing forever, this me in your life forever, then you have to do this. And so the people in that moment are left confused, wondering what is going on. They're unbelievably like, this is shocking. But what they didn't understand was that Jesus was speaking to them in a metaphor. When he was speaking to them, he knew that in short time, very soon, he was going to be killed by the same people that were all around him, that his body would be broken and his blood would be spilled, but he would offer forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus leaves his followers a number of things to do, and one of them is the Lord's Supper, and that's something that we practice here at Kensington often is communion, where we take what's considered the bread and the wine, and we take those things together, and we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us, and his blood forgives our sins. And so when he's talking to this group of people, he's not saying physically, you need to eat me right now, and like this, no. What he's telling them, he's saying, if you want to have eternal life, you need to remember what I'm about to do. And at this point, those people that were there listening to Jesus had a hard time understanding that. And what he was saying to them would cause them to have to fix their focus on Jesus as a savior. And some of them were not ready for that type of commitment. They weren't ready to relinquish that type of control. It would cause them to have to change their beliefs, their customs, their perceptions of the world, their lifestyle. And this is what it says in the next verse. It says, from this time, Many of his disciples turned their back and no longer followed Jesus. People leave Jesus. What he taught them was hard. It was difficult. It didn't line up with their preconceived beliefs. It didn't line up with their current lifestyle. And I wonder how often this could be a story, this little mini story of our own lives. How often do we maybe read the words of Jesus and see the things that he asks us to do, but they don't line up with what we want. They don't line up with the way we live. They don't line up with the things that we can control. How often do we maybe look like this story? You see, people left him. And this could be a story, I think, that a lot of us could feel too. But the thing that I want to focus on here is the next conversation that Jesus has. Because Jesus looks over to the 12 disciples, and he has a quick interaction with them, but I think it's a powerful one. And he looks at them, and he says in verse 67, he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Says Jesus, ask the 12. And then our friend Peter shows up. It says, Peter answered to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. See, Peter stands up and in a way, he speaks for the 12, essentially saying, Jesus, if we're not walking towards you, then where else would we go? I wonder if Peter here in this moment is speaking from the experience of physically walking towards Jesus on the water and then remembering what happens when he shifted his focus 
and he speaks up for the 12 and he says this, to whom shall I go? In other words, Jesus, if it's not you, then who? Maybe at first glance, if you're like me, you can look at this answer and you can kind of look at it as like a cop-out. Like, okay, Peter, this sounds like a cool thing to say. Are you just waiting for another better option? Like, it sounds good in the moment. Like, does Jesus say, hey, you're the best option for now? But what if Peter in this moment is saying so much more than that idea? What if he's looking at Jesus as the person who can give eternal life, as the person who saved him once? And he goes, if I can't follow you, then what other option is there? And I believe it's true for us. If we're not walking towards Jesus, we're gonna be wandering towards something else. And yes, I think that following Jesus honestly can be inconvenient at times. It can be hard. It doesn't always make sense. But Peter in this moment is stops for a second and he says, where else would I go? Imagine this is just a heroic moment. Like Peter has the ability to turn his back on Jesus, but he says, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna stay here with Jesus you. He's in a way, he's standing for his savior. And I think Peter realized that idea that if he's not walking towards Jesus, he's going to be walking towards someone else. And it's stupid to think, but like our eyes can only go one direction. If I turn my back and walk this way, I can't see what's going on behind me. But when I walk towards you, like you can only go in the direction that you're looking. And so I think Peter is setting up this idea that for us to follow Jesus, we have to relinquish full control which is difficult. So often we like to hold things really, really tight. But when we follow Jesus, what we have to do is we have to hand him the keys of control. We have to hand him every key too. Not just the key for here on Sunday mornings, not the key for the work week, not the key for our relationships, not just this key. We have to hand him every key in our lives and relinquish those types of control. So yeah, I think Peter could have walked away from Jesus right there. But Peter understood something that I think was super powerful. He decided that compared to Jesus, there was nothing else worth walking to. And I wonder how often I do this. I wonder how often where I'm standing in the middle of a situation or a problem or something that's difficult, where do my eyes go first? What are the things that I am looking to? Do I take steps towards Jesus in the struggle? when it's hard, or on the other side, do I try to control things on my own? And you see, this is something that I have to walk through every single day. As I showed you earlier, I have two kids. I have Blake, who's three, and I also have Jackson, who's six. And if you don't know, I'll let you in a little piece of my life. Jackson has a um, very rare genetic disorder. It's called KDM5C. There's less than 200 cases in the world. And Jackson has, he's one of them. And so for me, part of the idea of letting go of control. And if you know anybody who is a parent of a child with special needs, it's very hard to let go of control because there are so many things that we have to go through. There are things with schools. There are things with therapies. There are things with insurance. There's things with work. How do you get to and from appointments? There are so many things that tie into this. And there are so many things that we try to control. Who is the best doctor? Who is the best person? What is the best clinic? What is the best time frame? There are so many things that we as a family are walking through trying to figure out to give our kid the best shot possible. But what I realize in my own life is for me, it's really easy for me to walk towards something else. It's really easy for me to walk towards anything besides Jesus, to walk with my hands tight, 
towards worry, towards control, towards doctors, towards therapies, towards deep diving YouTube channels on genetic disorders till 2 a.m., like whatever it is, it's so easy for me and my wife to go down that rabbit hole of control and worry. And some of those things are good. Some of those things are you know, needed. But so often when I find myself in one of those trying times, what I try to picture is Jesus asking me the same question to Peter. Who are you gonna go to? And the thing that I love about Peter, and the thing that actually gives me comfort, is he didn't get this right every time. If you know the story of Peter, what happens next is a defining moment, and it's not a heroic moment. It's kind of an anti-hero moment. And it's a moment where Jesus has been arrested. Jesus is about to go to the cross and die a terrible, horrible death for you and I. And Peter knows that. And Peter has been cornered and he's seen his savior be taken away and a group of people know who he is and that he was a follower of Jesus. And the message records this encounter this way. It says, while all this was going on, Peter was down in the courtyard. One of the chief priest's servant girls came in and seeing Peter warming himself there, looked at him. She said, you were with the Nazarene Jesus. He denied it. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. He went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. It says, then a girl spotted him and began telling people standing around, he's one of them. He denied it again. After a little while, the bystanders brought it up again. You have to be one of them. You have Galilean written all over you. Now Peter got really nervous and he swore. He said, I never laid eyes on the man you are talking about. Just then, a rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he collapsed in tears.
is a dark and just very personal song when you can think about those words, I have let you down, I have made you hurt. Those words linger and it's emotional pain right there of somebody turning away from somebody. A very real pain that I'm sure our friend Peter felt as he denied and literally turned his back and walked away from Jesus. The same Peter who took steps towards Jesus on walking on the water, but then his eyes shifted focus and he began to sink. The same Peter who when Jesus asked him if he was going to leave him too and turn his back like the other ones did, and Peter said, no, where would I go? That same Peter in this moment chooses to turn his back and both literally and figuratively walk away from Jesus. We see this story of Peter right here, and it reminds us that if we're not walking towards Jesus, we're gonna be wandering towards something else. So what is it for us? If we're not walking towards Jesus in every piece of our life, what are the areas that maybe we are still holding on to control of? What are the things that we are walking to? What are the things that we are trying to do? And you see, the thing that I love about the story of Peter and the arc of who Peter is is I see myself so much in it. Not so much in the fact that I'm trying to maybe thinking about denying or unfollowing Jesus and you know, quitting that whole thing, but where I do see myself is how often do my eyes go to different things and situations? Where do my eyes go in situations or in areas where maybe I didn't deny Jesus to his face, but maybe I denied to allow him access to some part of my life? Maybe I denied access to him being a part of every piece of my life. There's an area in my life where I'm trying to hold my hands tight and trying to control. And maybe there's a situation for you, maybe where you didn't deny your faith in Jesus, but maybe you decided to separate that faith when it came to work and to how you do business and to how you make money and to how you handle those things. Maybe you said, I can understand, but I also have someone to look out for and I'm gonna try to control things my way. Maybe like I said earlier, maybe it came to a relationship or a marriage where you said, I can go to church on the weekends, but I don't have to do that here by myself at home. I can kind of leave that to just myself on the weekends. It's just over there in that little pile. Maybe it's all you know, what we want for our kids sometimes. Do we separate what we want for our kids before what Jesus says he's going to do with them? And so for me, 
I have to ask myself this question daily. Where do my eyes go? Do they shift the focus from Jesus to they shift the focus to what I can control? Where is that balance and the things that I can control? Where do my eyes go first? And I think we can all relate to this part of Peter, this part of Peter's story in so many ways because the thing that I love about this next part about Peter is that Jesus never actually turns his back on Peter. And if you know the rest of the story of Jesus, he's arrested, he's crucified, and at the end, on the third day, he comes back to life. And one of the first things that Jesus does upon coming back to life is he goes and he finds his friends. He goes and he finds his disciples. And this is recorded in John chapter 21. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. He said, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, go and feed my sheep. And you see, I don't think Jesus was talking about the farm that he had. I think Jesus was talking in a metaphor for something bigger. He's talking about the rest of the followers of Jesus who are going to follow. And he puts Peter in a position of authority. In a single moment, Jesus not only forgives Peter for every single denial, he establishes him in a place of authority and puts him responsible for feeding the sheep, of creating more followers and investing in those and I think there's a few things we can learn about Peter's story and how it applies to us, especially when it comes to this idea of control. And so let's look at these three things and then we'll end our time here together. But I think the first thing is that Peter stepped out. The first step into giving up control, just like Peter stepped out on and took steps towards Jesus on the water, his eyes were on him. He made a conscious decision to take a step towards Jesus. And maybe for some of us today, that is what we have to do. Maybe it's a first step. Maybe it's the first time coming here and saying, I am going to explore this thing called faith just a little bit more. I'm gonna release my grip of control just a little bit, just a little bit at a time. Maybe for some of us, it's that idea of controlling our time. And when we say, hey, you know, I, we look for volunteers to invest in our next generation, and you're like, it's just a lot of time to give up. I say, what if there's something more there? What if inside there's something in moving inside that you're supposed to talk to somebody that maybe has hurt you or harmed you and the idea of giving up a grudge and let going of that control is difficult. And offering forgiveness, no way, that's too hard. But what if we need to take a step out? What if there's a situation where we need to give up control or we need to invite Jesus in? And for me, this is something that I'm trying to do regularly. When I find myself in a situation where I'm either overwhelmed or I'm feeling like my grip is getting tighter on control, one of the things that I'm trying to do is just physically stop in the moment, close my eyes, and just say, Jesus, you are welcome in this situation. A simple posture of my heart, but also saying, I know what's in front of me is stressful, it's control, I wanna grab it, but Jesus, I'm giving you access to it. And maybe for some of us, that is the first step we have to do. Maybe we have to let go of the steering wheel. And for you, that may look like baptism, what Andrew was talking about. Like, I have held on this thing in my faith, and it's just been kind of my own thing. But the idea of getting in front of other people and saying publicly that this is what I'm choosing to do, you have been reluctant or you've said no, I encourage you, take that first step. Peter stepped out, and because of that, he has given us the roadmap to how we can step out. 
The second thing, not only Peter stepped out, but I believe, I believe Peter stood on. I believe Jesus, he stood on the promises and the confidence of what Jesus did in his own life. I imagine the type of guy Peter is. If you read the scriptures, he was somebody who was impulsive. He was somebody who was aggressive. He was somebody who had full of confidence. And I wonder how much of that confidence was instilled in him because when he walked on the water and when he sank, he called out to Jesus and Jesus was right there. I wonder what it would look like if we could stand on those same promises, that if we had that type of confidence in who Jesus was, and maybe for some of us, that's like a difficult thing to think about, to shift our focus on Jesus in those situations, and what if we stood on the promises of who Jesus is, of what he says he can do, that he's somebody who is God, that he is somebody who has a plan, that he's somebody who can be trusted, Maybe it looks like when that idea of fear comes over us and fear and anxiety grips us inside and instead of letting go of that control, what if we, or instead of holding on to that control, what if we stood on the promise that he is always with us like it says in Matthew 28? What if when we're going through something financially and we're trying to make those decisions and we're trying to make those challenges, what if we stood on the promise that Jesus says in the words that are echoed in Philippians 4.19 when he says he's able to supply all of our needs? What if when we have those doubts or uncertainties and that anxiety around us, when that doubt is coming over us, what if we feel and we feel uncertain, what if we stand on the promise that his love and he will never leave us or forsake us like it says in Hebrew, Hebrews 13. I believe we can step out, but I also believe we can stand on, but also I think Peter, lastly, was strengthened by. I think Peter was strengthened by the fact that never in his life did Jesus ever give up on him. He still rescued him. He still forgave him. And after all of those things, Jesus still affirmed him and empowered him to do great things. You see, Peter walked in that confidence that Jesus would not leave him, that in the moments of need, Jesus was there. He was just a few words away. And some of us, I think, need to remember that strength, that Jesus is near, that he is willing and that he is strong. And what would it look like if we actually believed those things today? What would it look like if a community of people left here today and actually began stepping out in their faith, taking maybe a first step, a second step, letting go of some of the things that we are trying to control? What would it look like if all of us started doing those things? What if it looked like instead for us, if we all stood on promises, instead of getting caught up in anxiety, which I know is a real thing, and I go through it too, but what if in those moments when we're feeling it, we allow Jesus access into our lives? We allow him to enter situations. It's not gonna make them go away, but what if we had somebody who was willing to walk those things through us, with us, and all we have to do is invite him? And then what also would it look like if a group of people here today walked out of this building and were strengthened by the fact that no matter where we go, no matter what happens, that Jesus is not going to leave us any circumstance we go through, anything that we walk through, that if we call ourselves followers, he will be there with us along the journey. Would you bow your heads and pray with me today? God, thank you for today. Thank you for just the story of Peter. Thank you for um, the person he was, both the highs and the lows, God, that we can see ourselves in the story. I pray for every person in here today as we leave here and we go back to um, our own lives and our own world and everything that happens outside of this place, Lord. God, I pray that as we leave here today, we'll be reminded 
about the faithfulness that you have, about the fact that you love us, that you care for us, that you're there for us, that you're near when we call, Lord. Thank you for the story of Peter, Lord, and help us to remember these truths today. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.